Everyone and welcome to a new episode of Heroic Purgatory, an Asian cinema podcast. My name is John, and with me, as always, my co-host Jason. Uh, Jason, how are you doing today? I'm having fun hanging out with my freaky cyborg friends at the trash heap known as Iron City. How are you? Uh, and I'm fine as well. And uh, not quite Iron City, but we've had a lot of forest fires recently, so the air does feel like quite a bit like I am living in a cyberpunk world. Very post-apocalyptic. Very post-apocalyptic. That's indeed true. And as we both hinted, today's topic is the American movie inspired by Japanese manga Alita Battle Engine, directed by Robert Rodriguez. Uh, so we'll jump straight into our discussion. So Jason, why don't you give us a, a brief summary of the movie? So Alita Battle Angel is a mixed CGI live-action 3D film directed by Robert Rodriguez and co-written by James Cameron and Data Calogridis. It was released by 20th Century Fox in the US on February 14, 2019. 122 minutes long, it was made with a budget of between $150 and $200 million, and it earned $405 million at the box office, and as of December 2019, it had grossed at least $50 million on home video formats. The film as John mentioned earlier, is based on the manga Battle Angel Alita, a cyberpunk series which was created by Yukito Kishiro starting in 1990 and currently ongoing. A two-part anime was made in 1993. Both the American film and the anime adapt the first two volumes of the manga. The plot summary goes something like this. Alita's story takes place in the year 2563. 300 years have passed since the Earth was devastated by a war with its space colonies. During this conflict, known as The Fall, humanity almost wiped itself out with biotechnological weapons. There are relics from that conflict lurking in the ruins of Earth. One such relic is the head and chest of a cyborg in suspended animation. She is rescued from a scrap heap by a doctor named Dyson Edo. He takes her in, gives her a new body, and names her Alita. 
These are the first steps in the young woman's search for her identity as she faces her past and embraces her presence, present with love, violence, and bounty hunting. Action. As she, and participating in a high-tech gladiatorial spot known as Motorball in her new home, the slum of Iron City, a place which exists in the shadow of a luxurious sky city known as Zalen. So, the cast is led by Rosa Salazar, who plays Elita. She is supported by Christoph Waltz, who plays Dr. Dyson Edo. They are joined by antagonists uh, Dr. Tyron, who's played by Jennifer Connolly, and Vector, who's played by Marshala Ali. Marshala Ali, yeah. yeah. Marshala Ali. Yeah, you, you, the H, you're missing, you're missing the H. That's important. <laughs> That's important. Mahershala. Mahershala? I don't know. That, I, I'm, I'm just messing with you. That's how I've always pronounced it. I always emphasize the H. I don't know if that's actually correct, but uh, anyway, let's move on. I, I should have practiced this like I do with a feature punk for a cephical. But uh, yeah, Alita's love interest, Hugo, is played by Keen Kian Johnson. And as mentioned already uh, by both John and I, this was directed by Robert Rodriguez of From Dusk Till Dawn fame. And it's been a long-term passion project by James Cameron, uh, who acted as writer and producer. Uh, so you did say that uh, James Cameron was a co-writer. Uh, I'm not, I, I, I couldn't find any information about, you know, to what extent his original screenplay was the final screenplay, because he was indeed a screenwriter, but I suspect he got credit as a screenwriter, basically because he had written the original draft. But this was all the way, I don't know, maybe two, as early as 2003. Um, so I, I suspect that... That that the screenplay had changed significantly, and considering how Cameron has has oh, how obsessed he's been with the Avatar uh, franchise uh, since uh, the first movie, which presumably started filming before two thousand nine, even though it came out in two thousand nine, I don't I I'm willing to guess that Cameron did not uh, take a big part into into the rewrite or the final version of the film. Uh, and at the same time, you know, the, the, whoever the co-writer was, I forget her name uh, or his name. Let's see. Later, Calogridis, if I'm Yeah, I suspect correctly. they probably are more behind the the final writing. In addition to like all like invisible script doctors that Hollywood kind of usually hires that they don't get credit to kind of make, you know, minor adjustments to, to scripts. Uh, that's why a lot of Hollywood movies end up kind of looking and feeling the same. Uh, but I think like a, like another evidence source that is that, and I didn't realize that this until I watched the anime uh, OVA, the two-part OVA as they call them, is that this is essentially a remake of the OVA. And yes, both are adapt a certain amount of the manga, but the OVA makes a lot of changes and and the movie essentially just mimics those changes. Yeah. Uh, and we can talk about whether or not that was a positive thing or a negative thing led in the game. But that's kind of what I suspect that Cameron, James Cameron, ultimately did not have that much of a of a uh, of an impact in the very final version of the film. But before we talk any of that, what's your first experience with this movie? When did you first hear of it? When did you first watch it or, you know, previously the the, the source material that it's based on, et cetera, et cetera? 
So, yeah, my first experience with the Alita franchise was the original video animation, uh, which was broadcast by the Sci-Fi Channel back in the 90s, amidst a slew of trashy cyberpunk titles like Angel Cop, Genocyber, and MD Geist, and also classics like Dominion Tank Police and Pat Labor. And um, it was an anime that uh, never really stood out to me at the time, um, and so I probably uh, like forgot a lot of the details, and uh, my memory of failed me for this live-action movie as well, because I totally forgot that the adaptation existed. Um, yeah, perhaps it was like confusion over COVID years, that lost period of time that everybody experienced. Um, so I had zero expectations going into um, both the anime and um, the film, and I came away enjoying um, parts of both. Um, the anime, I liked the brevity um, and the art design. and um, of the world uh, that the characters exist in, and um, in terms of live action uh, stuff, while I'm not into CG heavy movies in general, um, I felt like the CG and live action parts mesh well enough, and the character development and building was solid, and uh, they provided a decent foundation for a sci-fi actioner that's clearly meant to be like the first in a franchise. Um, yeah, that was sort of my yet. It's been thoughts. four years and nothing, nothing yet. Well, it seems like uh, James Cameron's busy. With, uh, well, he will always projects. be busy. Avatar is a never-ending project. I mean, it, yeah. took, it took 20, 15 years to do the second movie, so... Yeah, he's essentially, he tried um, making... He announced Avatar and Battle Angel Alita at the same time, um, I'm, I'm assuming. Uh, or maybe Alita just before Avatar, and then Alita got put on back burner because Avatar was like the passion project. And he sort of handed it, all of his script notes, to... Robert Rodriguez and Robert Rodriguez um, knocked it into shape. Yeah, well, I, I wonder to what extent is Robert Rodriguez involved because I I, I wonder if the Robert Rodriguez wasn't just like a a director for hire for this project. Like, you know what I mean? Uh, like, like is it just that? Like, what's the, the like? Uh, James Cameron has a studio, right? And he sort of handed it to the studio, and then the studio just hired Robert Rodriguez to make this movie, or whether it was you know like sort of a a, a passing on of the passion project itself rather than just here we have this project make the movie and then for the next movie maybe we'll hire a different director or something like that uh, Robert uh, Rodriguez's um, Troublemaker studio was involved in the production of this so like a lot of the location shooting took place in Texas I see I see it makes sense yeah I, I remember reading something like that you're right yeah uh, so maybe he'll be involved in the next movie should should that ever be made uh, we'll see uh, but uh, to go to my experience with uh, uh, with the franchise of the movie, I, I had I, I had actually not seen the uh, the anime uh, the OVA. Uh, I I don't know exactly like OVA is or has always been like a weird thing. Sometimes they're referred to as pilots for a potential anime, and that was case clearly this was not popular enough to merit like a subsequent uh, anime. Sometimes they're just standalone and they're just what 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 they are what they are. So I don't know, and so I don't know exactly how the anime was, but this was a first time watch for me and. Much like the movie, I have very mixed feelings about it. Uh, you did mention its brevity, and I, I thought, yeah, perhaps that was a plus uh, bonus at times, but at times it felt like things were just moving on too fast. Uh, and that, that perhaps was inevitable, considering how much of the source material they were trying to, uh, to adapt. Uh, but I, I was actually, surprisingly enough, I was familiar a little bit uh, with the, the source material, the manga, because... Uh, it's a funny story. I remember, uh, I remember reading the manga *Parasite*, 
Uh, I don't know why I ever read it. I don't actually think it's a very good manga, but somehow I, I found myself with some free times and I had an app that I had paid for that had manga. So I read Parasite. And then the, the app suggested, well, if you enjoyed this, try this. And that was Alita that it actually enjoyed me. And I had never heard of it before. You look interested. I'm, I'm a fan of post-apocalyptic worlds. I'm a fan of cyberpunk to a certain extent. So I checked it out. It didn't really make an impression of me and I abandoned it. And then when the movie finally came out, I said, oh, uh, this is interesting. I remember that. It's going to ring the bell. And then I saw the trailer and I had absolutely no desire to, to check it out uh, based, on, based on the trailer. Uh, and so this was a first time watch for me uh, for both the movie and the anime uh, of, or the OVA of, uh, of uh, Alita or Battle Angel Gunum, as it is the Japanese title. Yeah. So what did you think uh, of the live action? I did not like it, but I did not hate it either. Uh, this was, you know, like a typical Hollywood action science fiction film. A typical blockbuster, even though it did not succeed as a blockbuster. Well, I, I, Hollywood accounting is crazy. Every movie is a failure. Is a failure. But, you know, this one did not have the sort of the, the huge box office that they were hoping. I, it didn't do so bad that I think it completely will not have a sequel. But it wasn't so great. And I, I think, you know, this was... there's. They had nothing special. There was nothing particularly extraordinary about it. And I, especially, unlike you, I did not like the mix of uh, of uh, CGI and uh, and live action. And in fact, there was really no mix of CGI and live action. Well, CGI. Every movie has CGI nowadays, so it's specifically. But it is character capture, like motion capture. That's like. Alita was entirely CGI where everyone else was an actor. And the, the first thing that I wrote in my notes with bold font is, why did Alita have to be CGI? Like, it seemed to me that like, the only reason they did it is because they had developed the technology for Avatar. And Avatar had to be CGI because there's no, way, there's no other way that you can depict the big blue things. Uh, but there's no difference between, say, Alita and some other character who does all those stunts and... and uh, uh, you know, all the action scenes, the sword fighting, the gun fighting, whatever it is that they do in the movie, like the big guy with a sword. Uh, what's his name? Like uh, Zapan, I think. Uh, like, you know, there, there's no, again, like that's what I wrote in my note. There's what's the reason that Alida needs to be CGI, cannot be the real actress. It seemed to me it just took away so much from the experience. It would take me out every time that I see her interact. And as well as it was done, and it was done, you could still see. There was a huge difference. She looked like, like, uh, like she did not belong in that world, and that's not in a good way. Not in a way that she is different, like, uh, like you know, her backstory suggests. If they, that's what they were going for, in my opinion, it didn't really work. I would have much preferred to have an actress and and convey that uh, uh, fish out of water aspect of the story through acting, through writing, rather than here's a random different looking CGI with huge eyes by the way that just kind of freaked me out other than uh, whatever the intended effect was to be that just kind of feels like like you know they just hired a different animator last minute and like that had absolutely no cohesion with the rest of the movie I think that's um, the CG Alita is something that the makers are clearly proud of exactly uh, no I understand so I, I'm, I'm maybe I'm alone in this but you know considering the movie didn't do so well I think maybe a lot of people didn't think that was a great a great choice. No, I don't think you're alone because I was uh, briefly reading through some reviews earlier today, and um, a lot of critics did point that out that there was um, 
a distancing effect. And one of the theories is it's just to remind us that Alita is other from everybody else, that she's something different. No, uh, for my part, I, I actually found, like, I'm not a big fan of CG, but I actually found I was quite capable of forgetting uh, the CG aspect of her and just to, like, um, take part in her character arc and, like, find elements of her story quite touching, such as the romance she has with Hugo. Uh, well, that's, I don't know. I could not, like, every time, every time her face was on the camera, especially when it was, like, in a live action scene, it's not like Space Jam, where, you know, it's, it's a cartoon, it's a funny, it's like, it's part of the comedy. Like, yeah. this one relied too much on having to sort of, like, suspend your disbelief, and I couldn't. I just, it was just like her otherness was, like, affecting taking me out of the movie basically it was not like you're supposed to immerse you to kind of make you understand the world from the point of view of her as another as a, as a sort of like a foreign entity in like a, a a fish out of water quality but it was just reminding me as a viewer that i'm watching an experiment that like the author i think you mentioned something similar last week or or last or a couple of episodes ago where the author sort of like comes clear through the characters on the screen and makes aware of their presence and that's kind of what i got here where there's like a bunch of technicians being way too proud of their work and they're sort of constantly reminding you of you know what they did as opposed to letting you kind of lose yourself in the creation so it's kind of like james cameron's like i got all this tech from avatar let's use it on alita and yeah i mean that's what and literally that's what i read like that it seems to me that was the only reason why they did this is that we developed all this tech for avatar why not use it on Alita. Uh, and then the other thing that you mentioned is the romance. Uh, I mean, I, th- I think the romance worked well enough for, um, you know, for being like a typical Hollywood romance. I don't think there was anything particularly special about it. Uh, but the, the guy, the Hugo, was the actor's name. Uh, Kian Johnson, I believe. Yeah. I mean, his acting was okay, but the character was just as stereotypical and as generic as they come for a for a romantic interest. I don't know if you if you got the same impression. Yeah, there's nothing um, that was exceptional about what was written in the character or indeed for the rest of the film. It's just solidly executed stuff. Yeah, but it's you know like solidly and a solidly executed generic character is still a generic character, and it's it's kind of a shame because he's such. such so much more interesting in the manga. And I read a lot about the manga and trying to prepare for it. I read a lot about comparisons between the manga and the anime. And even they get this a little bit in the OVA, where he's a lot more morally ambiguous yeah. than uh, than his movie counterpart, which is essentially a goody two-shoes. Even in his like crime, he's like, like such so, so noble about it. It's kind of like it, almost infuriating. Whereas in the manga, he's like genuinely like an organ stripper. He strips organs for people and they die as a result of it. He's not, you know, I've never committed a murder part of it. And it's, the other difference, which I don't care for this so much, is that he's never in love with uh, Alita in the manga. She's infatuated with him. It's like a proper teenage infatuated, which is which is interesting because Alita being sort of like a 300-year-old teenager, I think there's an insp- an interesting aspect to it in the movie, in, the, in her character. And I think it, it, they do. That's what the thing. I think where the 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 actual acting of Alita and her characterization. I thought they did a pretty good job in the movie, even though they they change it from the manga. They did a pretty good job of it. I think in the movie, she, the, that sort of like teenage aspect of it. I think it comes out pretty well. 
Yeah, she looks like a teenage girl through the body models. She through the body models she has through most of the film, and well, throughout all of the film. And um, you could track her changes with the sort of uh, her getting the berserker body into like maturing and self actualizing a personality. Um, and then uh, yeah, the way she behaves, like she's exploring the world, she's excited by eating oranges, she meets a boy for the first time, like all of these things do ring true and bring some humanity to the role. So yeah, I agree. Yeah, another thing I do wish is that the movie had if, if for it to be R rated. I mean, I understand why they didn't do that. Yeah, it's it's this is like re- like the life like the anime, the manga is very dark. And there's a lot of backstories. Yeah, that's yeah. what that's what I'm saying. It's it's a you know, considering this was a passion project, you'd think camera would have fought a little harder to actually like stick true to it to the sort of like the the tone of the of the of the manga, and you know, like the characters are a lot more morally ambiguous. The tone is dark. There's a lot of gore in it, uh, and I feel like it would have served better the film to be R-rated. But I'm not I'm not too upset about that because I understand. Like this was the budget was over a hundred million dollars they they could not take that risk do you think this is also um the influence of robert rodriguez because like he's a bit of a journeyman director he's done spy kids uh and like big budget action movies and uh he understands how to sort of target a wide audience as opposed to the very narrow audience yeah that the manga i mean i think they, J- james cameron falls into that category a bit i mean He's he's not he's never been exactly an art house director. Yes, he made a couple of R-rated movies in the eighties, but since then it's been nothing but you know like massive, massive, you know commercially targeted movies. So I don't necessarily think had he done that movie, this movie would have been much different. Titanic saved Hollywood. Yeah, well, Titanic and Avatar, you know, like Avatar is a SPG as they come, right? Yeah, like he's he comes back. Time and time again, like the Batman. Uh, he didn't do anything between Avatar 1 and 2, did he? I don't think so. Don't think so. Not directing-wise. Maybe a small documentary on um, uh, exploring the bottom of the sea. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's right. That's right. Yeah, so, so, I, I, yeah, so you're, maybe Robert Rodriguez had something to do with it, but I don't know. Uh, I was surprised to see tons and tons of fans of the manga on various forums and message boards on the internet actually like saying very positive things about the movie and the list of differences between the movie and the manga is huge. They change a lot of stuff from the movie stuff that as, as someone who hasn't read the manga, if I was a manga fan, I would be bothered by them, uh, especially the tonal shifts, but you know, going onto forums and looking at a reaction from the fans, uh, they, they loved it. Well, I don't know if they loved it, but they said, you know, it made sense. It was true to the spirit of the manga. I, I find that very hard to believe, but again, I have not read the manga, so maybe maybe I'm missing something there. Uh, but they didn't have a problem, including the creator of the manga, who spoke positively of the movie. Of course, I'm sure he has a, like a financial interest, so yeah, I can you can you can never trust that. I mean, Mamoru Oshii spoke positive about positively about the Ghost in the Shell adaptation, so uh, you know it's that you cannot take that. But the fact that so many fans liked it, I was I was genuinely surprised by that reaction. Yeah, the um, what's it? Uh, his name Yukito Kishiro uh, described it as the the best movie in the world. And I suppose if uh, James Cameron took something I wrote and made a film out of it, I'd feel the same way. Wow, I've been touched by greatness. He's probably he's probably happy for the you know like the attention that whole. I think like that's a lot of things. Like we we think of these um, uh, like 
like we think of Hollywood as as you know the the destroyer of IPs of good IPs, but for for a creator, you know, to like get that much attention is probably a good thing either way because it brings a lot more people to their increases their reputation, increases their sort of like you know like influence their cachet, and they can always kind of like use that to do other stuff that they like. It's also probably a bigger payday than they would get in Japan. But yeah, exactly that that. So again, like I. I don't, I'm sure the manga industry, the top people in the manga industry are rich, but I suspect that most manga artists are not are not that well. They don't necessarily get that much for their work. Yeah, they kind of have to work very hard most of the week. And exactly. Get, yeah, it's, it's it's a tough industry. Exactly, but you know, like I think you wrote here, like critics did not <laughs> respond that well to the story. It was kind of like a mixed. A mixed reception, like you know, they liked some aspects, like what we talked about the the portrayal of uh, uh, of uh, Alita, uh, but you know, as you know, it felt felt like a relatively generic action movie. Like a lot of the characters were one dimensional, like in my opinion, Hugo, um, and uh, and maybe like like making it so that it's a franchise. Some people feel like that's a you know, perhaps like a, a bit of a dishonest way to make a movie, but you know, obviously, it is a, a long-running manga, so that makes sense. Yeah, uh, one critic uh, pithily described it as a, a soul-challenged Frankenstory that short circuits every time it gets moving, landing somewhere at the intersection of Pinocchio, Ghost in the Shell, and uh, Rollerball. Yet more generic than this disparate cocktail of reference points might lead you to expect. Uh, yeah. Uh, so what let's let's talk a little bit have you read the source material yeah i well i quickly looked it up on um internet archive and um, i read through the first volume and read part way through the second volume and the anime and the live action editions seem to almost faithfully adapt the story with key changes to sort of uh removing character backgrounds on with regards to some people, removing an entire character, uh, baby Koyomi, from the anime, and um, aging her up into a teenager in the live action edition, and uh, yeah, having a, and both the live action and the anime actually had the dog get killed in the bar fight with the uh, big hulking mercenary. Except they don't show it. Uh, yeah, it's well, they show it in the anime, but not the live action. But, yeah, uh, oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, they don't that's what I'm saying. Yeah, they don't show it. Uh yeah, like a lot of of course I you know, like I checked it out several years ago, but I never actually read it. Read like uh, you know, other than a couple of chapters just to get a feeling for it. So you definitely have a more experience. But like I, I looked up lots of lists of difference between the 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 movie and the manga, up to the extent that of course the movie covers the manga. And there was a lot, a lot like several differences. But uh, one consistent was that they simplified a lot of characters. Like, like for example, uh, Hugo. Hugo is like again, like I said, a lot more morally ambiguous. Um, the doctor, what's his name? Yeah, Tyson uh, Edo in the live action. Yeah, Edo is also. He, they also simplified him. Like in, apparently in the manga, he doesn't really need Alita's help. He's a very capable fighter. Yeah, and he's also a lot more morally ambiguous. He's sort of like. This is is gonna sound silly, but sort of addicted to killing in the manga, which is it just gives a lot more makes makes a lot more sense why he's so insistent for uh, for uh, Alita not to go into bounty hunting. Yeah, and the live action uh, 
uh, makes the father daughter thing much more explicit by adding that whole backstory. I, which I hate. I, I I did not like that backstory. To me, it felt like very cliche, very like overdone kind of thing. Uh, which again, it does not exist in the manga. It actually doesn't exist in the live action as well. He he, Alita is named after a cat, which I think is a more funny thing because it kind of. I mean, the, the whole point of like Alita as a character is sort of like this struggle for identity, which I actually thought it comes out in the movie as well. The idea that you know, like she's born as a blank as a blank slate. And has to sort of create an identity from scratch. But then as she discovers more about her past, her established past identity comes to clash with the identity that she's created in the present. So I think there's quite something there. And I think the movie does a quite a, good, a decent job of capturing that. But certainly that's a thing in the manga. But, you know, like giving her like this baggage of being named after a dead daughter, it's almost contradictory to what sort of like the character of Alita has to stand for. It's also interesting that like, the anime characters, as you've said, they're much more morally ambiguous, whereas... The manga, you mean? Uh, the manga and also the anime, whereas um, in the live-action um, films, like you said, they're generic, and um, you know they're going to go down a path of um, sort of resolving whatever issues they've got with their sort of, um, immorality and being bettered by being around uh, Alita, even though they're quite manipulative powers around her, they're trying to shape her future. Yeah, uh, that's right. And the, another difference is the, the the first villain, the big boss, so to speak, which in the movie is uh, Garishka or Gruishka, something like that. Gruishka, yeah. Yeah, in the manga, his name is Makako. Uh, and he's a lot more, I did not read details, but from a lot of people's uh, comments, he's a lot more three-dimensional, has a really sad backstory. He's terrifying. Like, he's got an addiction to eating brains, so... In he, and um, yeah, like that backstory is absolutely tragic. Like, just like um, Alita ended up in a trash heap in Iron City, he ended up in a trash heap in another city beneath Iron City and struggling to survive, and that warped his personality. Exactly, yeah. The movie version of him is again as generic as they come. He's just a thug who's like, Oh, I'm big and angry, let, let me kick some ass. Like, that's essentially what his personality is like. Hey, I got beat up by a girl, so I'm going to take revenge. Yeah, yeah. And that, I keep getting my butt kicked. There's also like a big spoiler. Well, uh, there's like a, a, like, which doesn't happen until the very end of the, well, the first manga, there's like, there's like three mangas. Like one is like a Battle Angel Lita, and then there's Battle Angel Lita Last Order, which was sort of like a sequel. And then there's like Battle, uh, Battle Angel Lita Martian Wars or something like that. Yeah. Uh, which is sort of like a prequel and a sequel combined. But there's like a huge reveal at the end of the first manga, which I, I spoiled myself. I'm not going to do it on the podcast. But there's a huge reveal of, about like a, the secret of Zalem, they call it. Like a big, big, like sort of explains what Zalem is about. Uh, but in the movie, they have some things that happen that completely invalidate the big reveal at the at the end of the manga. Okay. Uh uh, uh, there's essentially a huge contradiction that doesn't make sense in the movie if you're a fan of the manga, uh, and there's a, like that the, again seems to me to suggest that they either have a plan if they intend this to be a franchise, or indeed they didn't read the manga and they just adapted the OVA uh, as a result. Which I mean, I'm sure James Cameron has read the manga, but whoever the second writer was, maybe did not really pay attention to the manga so well, and they did stuff. To contradict. It has to do with a tattoo. 
Okay. That the the that the uh, people from Zalen have in their foreheads. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Like it's like the Bing dots type of thing. Y- yes, yes, and you know the very fact that Doctor Edo has his removed is a huge, like big no no. But anyway, that's that's besides the point. The point the point that I'm generally trying to you know arrive at is that I'm surprised that so many big changes, like you know, using this huge spoilery thing that they kind of like mess up in the movie. In addition to all these characters being far more shallow in the movie, I'm surprised that despite all these, still like a lot of the manga fans still like the movie. I suspect that maybe it has to do with the fact that they got a leader right, even though they messed all these stuff right. The movie did a pretty decent job at capturing a leader, and maybe that's enough for it to be somewhat redeeming in the eyes of the fans. I don't know what you think. Yeah, I can see that. I can also uh, guess there's an, um, sort of uh, elements of lowered expectations and the film beating those lowered expectations because Hollywood doesn't have a good track record of adapting uh, anime into live action. Yeah. Well, I mean, what what overall do you think of the of the, the manga? Like, uh, from what you've read, do you do you have feel the like the desire to read more? Do, how do you think it compares to like contemporaries of the same genre, which I think we can, I wrote down Ghost in the Shell and Akira as being, you know, Akira is a bit earlier, but I would still consider a contemporary uh, and sort of like more or less in the same genre. It's like I'm midway through the second volume and it's still um, taking time to establish the world. And um, I'm not finding it that interesting. Like Akira, within the first volume, we've got so much history, so many interesting characters packed into it. But it and um, the action is almost immediate, and it's just propulsive reading. I don't get that with Alita. What I do get are really grotesque cyborg designs and like really horrific character backstories that make it engrossing in small bits and pieces. And um, yeah, I suppose that I, I I could keep reading it just to see um, where the story goes, just out of curiosity. But it's not something that's really compelling for me. How how about you? That, I mean, that's the from from what I've seen from the little bit of it. I think that's the impression that I got, and uh, from reading a lot about it, you know, I pretty much spoiled myself to the whole uh, like you know big picture of of what the manga where the manga goes. Uh, I I got the same impression that let's I mean let's compare it to like like some the the similar manga of the time or similar properties of time like Ghost in the Shells and Akira. In addition to being excellent stories, they're you know very deeply philosophical. They tackle a lot of like important issues of identity, war, uh, psychology, philosophy, various various topics uh, within them. Whereas Alita strikes me as more like okay, here's a fun cyberpunk action manga, and that's that's about it. And again, I have not read it, so if any fan is angry with me saying that, you know, I apologize. But that's that's kind of the impression that I've gotten. That is just you know it's a fun popcorn, in quotes, manga, but it doesn't necessarily have sort of like the impact of of the those that it's often compared to, especially Ghost in the Shell, which is a very very philosophical story. Uh, maybe there is something like you know issues of identity and class, but I don't know. I think it's it's more about the like the the horrific world that it presents than anything else. And yeah, that's the strength of the manga, like the art design of the, uh, of the world and the cyborgs themselves, just body horror stuff, stuff of 
like cyberpunk of that era where you just got total carnage and um, freakish monstrosities. And uh, that's probably the main draw, but I'm also looking at it as it's off to a slow start, that it's got so much backstory um, waiting to fill in the rest of the pages. And uh, it's just a case of having to wade through um, the establishing, establishing Alita and Historia and then getting into the wider world. Which is kind of like the opposite of Akira, where you get into like the action right away, and then the stories kind of the backstory is sort of like sprinkled through much later. Yes. Uh, or like you know, most stories are like that. You know, like you want to get them hooked before you you explain what your world is about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I mean, speaking, there's still some you know maybe thematic elements that are present in both the manga and the movie. Like again, class is a big deal, but it's it's. Yeah. At least in the movie, it's treated so superficially that, oh, yes, there's like the, 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 the little people, like the underlings down there, and there's the, the big people, the important people up there, and oh, uh, like uh, the little people fight for the amusement of the big people. <laughs> like, it feels like a very superficial treatment of class issues. I don't know if you had a different impression. Uh, yeah. Um... I suppose, yeah, using like sport to distract the poor from their lot in life, and uh, like gladiatorial sport, like the ancient Roman emperors would do, and uh, like the the people in Iron City having to comb through the trash of the rich that's dropped down to the earth from Zalem, and you've got that sort of visual representation of the difference between the the high class people in Zalem and the lower class people in Iron City, with the uh, like. Salem hanging from a space elevator, and uh, yeah, it's like uh, it's like it's got those elements to it. Um, it doesn't develop too much in terms of class consciousness because everybody's sort of focused on getting into Salem, but it's only Doctor Edo who's kind of questioning why people want to do that. Yeah. And it's revealed at the end of the movie. Spoiler alert: that nobody really gets into Salem; their organs just do. Yeah. I don't know if that's also in the manga, that Oregon part. I did not read about that. I'm assuming you haven't gotten to there yet, if that is in the manga, but... No, I haven't gotten to that part yet. Yeah, so because it says also in the OVA, right, where they go, they, like, they collect organs, and he says, I don't know what they need them for, I just know that they need them. Yeah, and I, and, uh, I believe one of the characters ends up, <laughs> uh, like, it reveals, like, that character ends up uh, being um, taken apart for organs, one of the main characters. Well, yeah, Doctor uh, Doctor Sharon Sheeran. Okay, I avoided that spoiler. <laughs> well, I mean, I've already spoiled like the ending, so it doesn't matter. But that that was a real jaw dropping moment. I have to admit, when the curtain is pulled back, Wizard of Oz style, and it's like, oh, that's what happened to her. There is uh, uh, she's also a character that is not present in the manga, but she is in the OVA, and I suspect that's where they got her from in the movie. A lot of her dialogue is like very similar. And she shares like this single-minded determination to get back to Zaynum, and there's not much else to her. Yeah, it's not revealed in the movie why he, she and uh, Dr. Uh, Ido left Zaynum, but I think it's revealed in the manga, and it's like, uh, vaguely remember that it's a very kind of disturbing reason, but, uh, but uh, they're sort of like, I think it's implied that they got kicked out somehow. Yeah, it. I, that's one of the more interesting plot elements um, that would make me watch a sequel just to find out what's going on in Salem and why people have to be lobotomized to be sent up. 
Uh, yes, and uh, and what's his the villain, the big villain, Doctor uh, Nova? Is it Nova? Yes, he's also kicked out of Zalem uh, in the manga, but in the movie, he's still like in Zalem. He's kind of like a big, you know, like overlord watching ev- over everyone. Whereas in in the manga, he doesn't communicate with others. He doesn't invade others' brain. I think that's a movie thing. Uh, it, and he also doesn't. He's he's actually also kicked out of Zalem, or he's left voluntarily. I don't remember, but. I read that yeah he's he's down and he's sort of like like revealed to be the main antagonist of the of the manga but he's not like a lot of people comment that he's not actually evil he's just kind of like crazy he's crazy but not evil that's what I think a lot of people say yeah you've got that reveal at the end uh, wait a minute is that Edward Norton playing Doctor Nova oh, you didn't realize it I it was even with glasses you can tell it's him right yeah as soon as I saw his Face and profiles like that's Edward Norton, isn't it? Yeah, the easiest job he's probably ever done because all he does for like is like there for like a couple minutes, and he, all he just does is just look menacingly into the distance with city glasses. <laughs> yeah, and take his take his glasses one time. That's must have been an easy job for him. But you know, hopefully, if there is a sequel, uh, he'll have a he'll surely have a larger role. But I I I would agree with you. I I think the movie did it, despite all my mixed feelings about it. I think the movie did a good enough job in kind of like creating a world that's interesting enough, even though a lot of the supporting characters were one-dimensional. The world and Alita were interesting enough that I would come back with this for a sequel and just, and just you know, like, just to see how, how this world evolves. How, it, how the story turns out to be. Yeah, it's got it's got so many intriguing elements that um, we both like, which is like uh, lost civilizations and ancient tech, which uh, gets explored in the movie, and you can see the conflict between Earth and its colonies in flashbacks, and that's all married together with Alita's character arc. And well, you know, I think uh, it's it's clunky, but it it works. It's solid enough to work as a great introduction to Alita as a character in the world she exists in and to build a franchise on. In the movie, do you think... Well, I, I guess we, we addressed this a little bit, but how, how does Alita's femininity... We always talk about this in this season, since it is about female action heroes. How does her femininity kind of like come across? Is she like essentially like a male protagonist exchange for a female actress, or is there something more there to her? I think definitely a live-action movie tries to give her more femininity, specifically through Dr. Ido, her relationship with Dr. Ido, and then with her relationship with Hugo. And, um, and her sort of like teenage girl persona, I think, a little bit. Absolutely, yes. So she's a cyborg, yes, but she's still a teenage girl at heart, and um, she remains a teenage girl throughout most of the movie until the end, when she's practically sort of had so much stuff taken away from her. And she's had to mature and grow up. And uh, yeah, and you see in flashbacks that she's got female mentors as well. So how that will play in future movies yeah. will be interesting to see. Yeah, so apparently like the, I don't know if they took this from that, because this was not in the OVA definitely, but like I said, the third manga, like Martian Wars, or I forget what it's called, is uh, it's like, a, it's a prequel and a sequel, and the prequel is set, like, you know, 200 or 300 years before, so it's probably around that time, so I wonder if those scenes are from that manga, you know, like, the, the training, the invasion, like, the battle scenes. Yeah, like, low-gravity martial arts. 
Panzerkunst or whatever, however they call it. It sounds cool. That's the main thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what I was gonna say, there's one confusing scene in the movie when they kind of give her her second body, uh, where like the body kind of adapts, and like the doctor comments that it adapts to the a subconscious image of herself, right? Uh, or something like that. And then the nurse makes a comment that I understand, and she looks at the doctor and says, "Huh, she's a lot older than you thought, isn't she?" And then there's no, I don't know what that means. Like, how does she know? <laughs> it's that is a strange comment. It's kind of like. They, um, she has knowing looks when uh, Dr. Ido treats Alita as a, as a daughter and then it's kind of like she's she's she understands what he's doing that he's got a surrogate daughter in Alita and um, uh, perhaps that's some aspect of it I don't know yeah but in what way like in what way is she older like is she not a teenager is that that means like oh she, she's, she's in her 20s like how how could she tell that by whatever was happening in that scene I'm I'm not sure, but uh, like the body does um, make her feel a lot older than the previous body, I guess. I mean, it's a lot more like muscular, I guess, for lack of a better term, like a lot more like developed, but I don't know. I mean, she was pretty badass from the first body, so. Yeah. I don't know. She doesn't, she's not like that much bigger in the second body. She looks about the same height. I I find the anime uh, really strange because Alita remains childlike. Right, both overs and Hugo is very childlike as well, so it makes what happens to them quite tragic. Yeah, uh, I also like her hair in the manga and anime better. Like has like that puffy quality about it. Uh, Yu-Gi-Oh style. <laughs> yeah, it's like a lot more interesting. It's like a lot more unique. It yeah. feels like slightly robotic, but also could be like a natural hair type. I no no, that's gonna take the audiences way out of it. You know, you got the big eyes, you got the totally CGI body. Let's let's stop with that. Yeah, I don't I don't know why they like. I, I guess I don't know. I guess the actress probably they wanted to keep uh, whatever like the, uh, an image closer to the actress. So yeah, uh, I'm assuming that's the hair that the actress had around the time. Although the actress is quite a lot older than what Alita is supposed to be. So yeah, hey, still works. I suppose like uh, just to reemphasize again the art design, like the live action movie is very bright and um, uh, almost utopian in some scenes compared to the anime, which is very drab with lots of greys and blacks and browns and sort of like extreme... It looks like a proper post-apocalyptic setting. Yeah, just like urban wasteland and you get a sense of... Um, in the manga, you get a sense of like there's a whole underworld underneath Iron City of just twisted metal corridors and... Um, broken skyscrapers and things like that it's just like it evokes a feel of oppression and despair you get a little bit of that in the uh, in the movie where she falls down to fight uh, Gerwinski or whatever his name is yeah but it's never really expanded upon as you're it right is you're, it's not yeah with the manga because uh is like hey this this hellhole is where i was raised and uh you know, it becomes a major battlefield that he knows the intricacies of, and it makes for an exciting battle. And again, like the anime has, because it's of that era of the 80s and the 90s, it's able to push the envelope in terms of like violence and also sex as well. Which was typical of the 90s, right? In manga and anime. Yeah. Uh, this being an OVA, you could get away with a lot more stuff. 
Yeah, of course, of course. But even I mean, even like the anime that was coming out at the time, like think of Evangelion, uh, which I think pushed the envelope in that regard. I mean, uh, Ghost in the Shell too, but that was more of a theatrical movie, so probably different standards. Yes, but whereas Elite is very down and dirty. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but again, I was talking about manga more, more, more uh, specifically. Like manga at this time was like very characteristic of them to kind of like, be a lot more explicit. Ah, okay. Uh, yeah. Another thing that kind of uh, struck me is the uh, like the music in the movie is more or less forgettable, but the anime actually had some decent music, including like one very recognizable tune. Okay. Like in the scenes between uh, Alida and Hugo, or Hugo, because it's spelled with a Y in the anime. Yeah, the anime tends to have the Japanese names rather than this westernization, the live action stuff. Yeah, but there was like a very like tune, uh, like a very kind of like sort of like a lullaby-ish tune that is like very memorable in the anime, whereas the movie was just standard action movie music. It felt to me like nothing, nothing that recognize, nothing recognizable. I honestly cannot remember a single note from a live action movie. No, because there's nothing. Again, it's like. Which is, again, sometimes that's fine. Like, sometimes you want the soundtrack to blend with the background, but obviously a great soundtrack goes a long way into making scenes more memorable. Okay, I was like, did you, did you see the video game adaptation of the movie? Of the, the, the manga, sorry. I, I saw you wrote it down in the notes. So I looked up uh, Alita Battle Angel video game and I got the mobile game that came out with the live action movie. So it sounds like there was a video game for the manga itself. Yeah, there's a PS1 video game that came out in the 90s, late 90s. Okay. okay. Uh, it's actually not called, it's called Gunam. Uh, yeah. uh, let me find it. Yeah, it's called G- Gunam Martian Memory. And it's actually, it's actually uh, was involved by the, uh, was involved, the creator of the manga was involved because he apparently was not happy with the way the manga ended. The manga, the manga had to, uh, he had to rush it in the end, so the like the ending of the Madden guy is very rushed, and I read that a lot of people also think that, uh, and sort of like he he made this game and included storylines to kind of address like a lot of things that were left out of the ending of the manga, and this directly led to the sequel mangas, which is uh, Last Order and Martian Chronicle. So, what type of game is it? It's a it's a it's a sort of action RPG, and if you I lo- I, I looked up some YouTube footage on YouTube. If you can look up, <laughs> if you can look it up, pretty much, it looks like a very typical early PS One, three uh, D game where pretty much all the characters look like polygons on the screen. Oh, like uh, siphon filter type of thing. Yeah, like Final Final Fantasy Seven, but a lot oh. worse. Like there were literally <laughs> some some characters that were just polygons. <laughs> like if you Google. Gun Martian memory and look up images like uh, uh, like it looks ridiculous. Like some of the characters are very very bad. But it it it, it, it from what I read, it was not a bad game. Uh, it had a story component. You run around, you talk with people, you do quests and stuff. And then there's a battle mode, which is sort of like an like an action RPG type of ideal where you use different moves to defeat enemies. But it's sort of like separate from the gameplay. From the rest of the gameplay, I'm not sure what else would I compare it to. I'm not, I'm not so familiar with this style of game, but I can cannot imagine it was it was unique. I thought it's kind of uh, download uh, emulation of it and uh, see what it's like. Try it out for five minutes and then never play it again. Type of game. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know. I'm like I said. I think it wasn't. Some people liked it, especially if you're a fan 
of the of the franchise and again like it contains some it was contains uh, uh input from the creator and contains some new story elements that the creator approved well, i i think it's cool that the creator might just get a second shot at making the story and then he got to continue it yeah absolutely uh, absolutely and i don't i'm not sure how the sequel manga received but considering he made two of them probably not bad yeah and the 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 yeah like we said the Original name of the manga was Gunam, which I'm not sure what that refers to. Uh, I did read it uh, on Wikipedia, but I cannot remember the reason. And the original name of Alita was Gully or Gully. Uh, Gully in the anime. Um, okay, so what what else can we say about this? I mean, it's let's let's be honest. It's a, it's a pretty average movie, right? It's not like anything great. It's not bad, but it's like definitely like a bit. Uh, a bit below what we usually talk about, right? Yeah, it's there are there are a lot of generic elements to it. Um, it's clunky in terms of story, but it's adapting a manga that's over thirty years old or around thirty years old, and it's fairly faithful in trying to cram in so many details. And the central character of Alita is interesting enough to hold your attention and the action is solid um the cg is solid it's it's overall it's a solid movie a good entry into a franchise i wonder i wonder how this would have gone if they had done just like a very few minor changes meaning reduce the budget a little bit and like go with the r-rated option because that's what they would have to do. You know, they couldn't have used as much, but make it a little greedier, a little darker. Maybe give it to like a more seasoned professional to take it as opposed to Robert Rodriguez, which, like you said, is a, a in my opinion, a bang average director. Uh, I'm sure some will disagree with that, but I, I've never, I've never rated him very high. And you know, maybe a screenwriter who knows the source material and try to try to make it a, a like a not an indie movie per se but you know something like district 9 right was cameron involved in district 9 i have no idea no it was um uh uh peter jackson right peter jackson was the producer peter jackson was the district 9 sort of what james cameron was to hear but what he did is he got like a director who was like a not not a journeyman director a director who kind of like really cared about the source material uh, was also i think also the writer it was a lower budget. I think that was only made for like twenty to thirty million dollars. But you know, they they made the movie that they wanted to make, and of course, it was an original story. It wasn't based off of anything. Well, it was based off the short film that they had also made. Yeah, but still, like more, still the same people, original source material. And they could have done the same thing to you. Make it a, a lower budget movie, but you know, give someone who understands the source material, the creative freedom to do a movie that is faithful to the source material. I think we would be talking very, very different about the movie now. There would be a lot more of substance to talk about from the sort of class war that's you know, hinted at at the end of the movie. Um, and two sort of like darker themes such as body modification that could have been explored a lot more, especially with physical effects, practical effects. So if you didn't have all this weight of expectation with like the technology involved and having to use it. And uh, like I, I cannot at this present moment think of a director who could have handled uh, darker source material. Um, can you? Well, um, maybe not, not the director who we know. Maybe it's a new director, like a young and inspiring director. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, one, I don't know, like 
maybe Zack Snyder, but again, uh, it comes with a lot of other downsides. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think I've made it through a Snyder film. Oh, no, I did. I watched Sucker Punch in the cinema and I hated it every moment of it. Uh, yeah. Well, um, yeah, I mean, maybe it's a younger director. I don't know. But the downside of that is that if that had happened, maybe we would not have heard of movie. Maybe it would have just kind of been uh, received some invisible release on a streaming service and that would have been it, right? Yeah. Uh, well, so, talking, talking to people in my workplace, like, oh, hey, have you seen Alita Battle Angel? What did, um, I watched it the other day. What did you think? And they, they liked it. They liked it. They had no idea about the source material. So in some ways... like It's a blockbuster fact, movie, yeah. Yeah, it's a blockbuster movie and it works on that level. And um, it sounds like they've managed to get a sequel greenlit. So uh, yeah, maybe they can do more interesting things later on. Who knows? But I would definitely like to see another take on the material, maybe something darker, like you said. Uh, all right. Okay. So I think that's a good place to end our discussion uh, for Alita. Um, I think we both got an agreement about the movie that it is and the movie that it is. And then overall, I mean, I enjoyed it. I thought I can't, I can't say it was, it was a fun two hours. Basically, that's that's the the takeaway from all this. Yeah, it's it's never boring, even though it's got a whole lot of exposition to get through. There are so many different tones and um, sequences, uh, and um, there's just so much variation that it feels engaging all the time. Uh, one thing that's quite interesting is that even though it had lots of nominations in visual effects categories from various awards bodies, it had very few wins. Yeah. Well, what else came out in 2019? I don't remember. No, I can't remember either. Like, that was the Parasite year, of course, but that's not a visual effects staple. No. I don't think... Did the final Star Wars come out in 2019? Oh, yeah, the, the Rise of the Skywalker came out in 2019. Yeah, Ad Astra, Brightburn, Avengers Endgame, The Lion King, live action, yeah. CG, Frozen 2, Spider-Man Far From Home, Captain Marvel, Joker, Toy Story 4, Aladdin, Jumanji. The Irishman, but that's, uh, again, that's a different category of film. It looks, when you look at the highest grossing films of 2019, there's a lot of competition from big budget yeah, um, special effects movies. But this did not get nominated for an Oscar, did it? I don't think so. I don't think so, no. It was nominated for other awards, but so definitely did not, uh, you know, make an impact in, uh, in like the Academy Awards or like the big, big deal awards, as some people would call them. Not that The Rise of Skywalker is that much better. Who? Let me see. So The Rise of Skywalker was nominated for... Uh, for uh, best visual effects and a couple of other like minor technical so uh, music for George Will Williams and visual effects who won that year so oh, 1917 won that year okay which I have not seen no I haven't seen it either uh, yeah oh the Irishman was actually okay so maybe I was unfair to this but the Irishman was actually also nominated in that category probably for the de-aging technology that's on Netflix but I haven't watched that one yet yeah, I mean, I, I recommend it. It's a pretty good. I was pretty good. I mean, Bong Joon Ho said that he loved it. Okay, I'll but he's a cinephile. Yeah. All right. So I think I think I think we've said enough about this movie and its uh, and uh, everything that's around it. So we can end our discussion here and jump into the news section. So do we have any news uh, this uh, this episode, Jason? So 
two autumn festivals, one in Europe and one in North America, and a very exciting lineup of works for both festivals. So, to- Toronto International Film Festival 2023, which runs from September 7th to the 17th. Uh, as mentioned in the previous episode of Heroic Poetry, it opens with Hayao Miyazaki's um, The Boy and the Heron. There are other Asian movies across many different categories, um, including Perfect Days by Vim Vendors uh, in the centerpiece category. And um, you've got Concrete Utopia uh, by Um Tai Hua. It's a film I'm hearing a lot of good things about from critics in Korea. And also Smugglers, another film uh, which critics are uh, rating quite highly, um, directed by Wu Seung Wan. Um, and uh, we've got Andy Lau, who's visiting the festival. He's um, going to be in conversation, um, talking about his latest film, The Movie Emperor. And uh, Lee Byung-hun and Park Seo-jun are going to be talking about Concrete Utopia. Other films include uh, Evil Does Not Exist by Ryusuke Hamaguchi and Monster by Hirokazu Koreeda. And we've also got the winner of the Golden Camera at the Cannes Film Festival, Inside the Yellow Cocoon by Tien An Pham, uh, a Vietnamese film. And there are loads of different uh, short films spread across the wavelengths um, categories. And there's going to be a 4K uncut restoration of Chen Cage's 1993 Palme d'Or winner, Farewell My Concubine. So lots on offer for uh, East Asian movie cinephiles, cinephiles in general. Uh, we're also approaching the Venice Film Festival, aren't we? Yeah, we did cover that in the last episode. Yeah, um, Venice Film Festival has uh, Ryusuke Hamaguchi, uh, restorations of Ozu's works. Um, okay, yep, yep. It has uh, Ryuichi Sakamoto's opus, and um, just like Toronto Film Festival, you're going to get Snow Leopard by Pema Tserin. And you've also got Hokage, or Shadowfire by Shinya Tsukamoto. The other major autumn festival, um, one which is taking place in San Sebastian. That one's also going to screen The Boy and the Heron, and uh, it's also going to screen Monster and uh, Perfect Days. A really interesting film, uh, Past Lives by Celine Song, um, Korean-American. Every review I've read and every interview I've read just makes it sound absolutely fascinating sort of story about a woman split between um, you know the possibilities she could have had in relationships with two men uh, and the passage of time contemplation on the passage of time so um, seems like um, a lot of new talents on offer Daichi Murase Beyond the Fog um, and Nicole Midori Woodford Last Shadow at First Light and again you've got Inside the Yellow Cocoon Shell by Tian An Pham, and Evil Does Not Exist, which I've also mentioned. Uh, and uh, you've got a Hiroshi Tashikahara retrospective, Woman in the Dunes and The Man Without the Map are going to be screened. Both great movies, but I, I have a soft spot for uh, The Man Without a Face. Is that very, a very great movie? And like a fun, fantastic soundtrack, like a, a very memorable soundtrack. Sometimes I just play, play that... Uh, the waltz from that movie by uh, what's the composer's name? Very famous composer, the face of another. Sorry, not what, what is that? What you were saying? Yes, the face of another by I said the man without a face, but it's the face of another by Roshi Tishagahara, based on a novel by Kobo Abe and the music by Toro Takemitsu. Yeah, the man without a face makes me think of Aki Kurosaki for some odd reason. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, no, this was the phase of another. It's sort of like an unofficial trilogy between uh, uh, 
uh, all based on a book on books by by Kobo Abe, which is the the first the second book is the Woman on the Dunes, and the third book is the Face of Another. But the first book is yeah, Criterion actually put out the um, three videos in one set, I believe. Pitfall, Pitfall. Yeah, Criterion. I think Criterion. I've got the Criterion um, box set. Yeah, I don't have the physical one, but I've seen all three movies more than once. Uh, I mean, The Woman in the Dunes is the the best known one, and I think he was. I don't know if he was the first, but he might have been. He might have been one of the first to, a foreign director to be nominated for best director for that movie. Okay. Uh, let me just confirm. So he was, yeah. So he won the special jury prize at Cannes, and yeah, he was nominated for best director, losing to the sound to Robert Wise from The Sound of Music. Uh, I don't know that he was the first foreign director to be nominated for like a non-foreign category, like best director. Maybe, maybe one of the Italian directors beat him to it, like uh, uh, Fellini or one of those. Uh, so, so maybe he was not the first, but he was definitely one of the, maybe. Oh, maybe one of the French, like Jacques. Ta- no, uh, I don't know. But he was definitely one of the first foreign films to be nominated in a non-foreign category, like like best director. Yeah. Anyway, uh, but uh, yeah, great movie. But I've always had a soft spot for uh, for the face of another over Woman in the Dunes. Anyway, uh, very very irrelevant digression. So please go on. Yeah. Well, uh, San Sebastian runs from September twenty second to the thirtieth. So if you know anybody uh, located next to the uh, city of San Sebastian or in it, uh, inform them that there are going to be great Asian movies playing there. But yeah, Toronto's just got an absolutely fantastic lineup. So uh, any listeners, please check uh, the websites and also like uh, uh, the SNS feed because um, we'll put out more information about Toronto and um, San Sebastian, hopefully. And that's it for the news. Unless you have something. No, I don't. I don't. I, don't, I didn't have any news uh, this week, uh, other than you know, like looking up about the Venice Film Festival, which we already mentioned. Okay, so now that we're done with the news, let's let's uh, talk about our cultural consumption since last time we spoke. So once again, Jason, uh, tell us about what you've been doing. So my coverage of New York Asian Film Festival 2023 will come to an end with one final interview. Um, that one was with Chihiro Ito of um, In Her Room. Really, really excited to get answers back for that and to publish it because In Her Room is one of my favorites films of the year. So, uh, you know, please get, keep checking back on my blog and uh, read the interview and the review. Uh, yeah, in terms of uh, other cultural things, um, I've kind of... Uh, dusted off a lot of my um, video game collection and set it up on a shelf uh, next to a CRT TV and a uh, uh, HD TV. Like this, like the CRT one has been like uh, sat on a shelf for like. <laughs> well, you got to get an old Nintendo to put that to use. Super, yeah, the Super Nintendo box is out. The Nintendo box is out. So okay, yeah. Uh, looking forward to playing games like Parodius and Illusion of Time um, on the CRT, and um, yeah, Silent Hill Four on the OG Xbox. And um, yeah, in terms of uh, movies, I've been waking up regularly at three o'clock in the morning, so I've been watching a lot of films. Um, I'm going to list the last 12. Fright Night, From Beyond, The Lost Boys, Blood Simple, Used Cars, The Last Chase, Night Shift, Two Lane Blacktop, Vanishing Point, Midnight Run, 
Lonely Glory, which is part of the Japan Film Festival Plus um, streaming service, which runs until October 31st. So visit the Japan Film Festival Plus website to watch free Japanese indie movies. And um, I started watching the uh, Jacques Rosier film, The Castaways of Turtle Island. And um, yeah, apart from that, I've been practicing kanji, writing 200 a day. Um, and I, my brain is finally getting back into gear with Japanese language learning. And um, that's been my cultural consumption since we last spoke. All right. So for my cultural consumption, uh, in terms of video games, I uh, I don't know if you know what Humble Bundle is. They have... I've read about it. Yeah. So they often give deals on various things where you get multiple things for free. And occasionally they have deals on video game bundles. So they had a deal uh, uh, very recently priced for a bunch of space-themed video games. So, so I got that and I installed them. Uh, on my computer and two notable ones one was the the game high on life okay which is a first person shooter created by the same people behind rick and morty oh i think i've seen part of this red letter media were involved in some way um i don't know uh but it's a first person shooter essentially you're a kid who's somehow kidnapped and you become a bounty hunter on a sort of intergalactic scope uh, and it, much like Rick and Morty, it has essentially the same style of humor and similar uh, sort of like goofy animation style. And much like Rick and Morty humor, it's funny at first and it get, gets really tiresome eventually. Uh, and I, I, I think it's a, as a game, it's very average. It's a very average shooter. Uh, there's uh, like a lot of glitches uh, on it that kind of are not, not game breaking, but somewhat annoying. Uh, and it just, again, there's really the gameplay is relatively average. I played a little bit, but then I, I just kind of got tired of it. Uh, the other the other game on the bundle I, I think I'm, I'm I would enjoy a little bit more even though I have played it as much is the the Obsidian RPG, um, oh, when, uh, the, the outer the outer worlds. Okay, yes, yes. Uh, which is I I I I should have tried it first because it has that sort of retro science fictional vibe to it, uh, like uh, specifically inspired by old school science fiction science fiction. And it's about this. Uh, guy who was trapped in in a in a anim, suspended animation for seventy years and is revived by a, 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 a fugitive who's uh, who's being uh, chased by corporations because corp- this sector of space is run by corporations and uh, it's also a first person shooter but with a lot more RPG elements so it's like it's it like it, it reminded me a lot of Elder Scrolls types types of games or well, maybe Fallout New Vegas. Uh, I haven't played that, but maybe, yeah, maybe. I think, wasn't that also Obsidian? Yes. Yeah, so perhaps it's very similar to that. I haven't played it, so I don't know. Uh, it, a lot of people consider it uh, the best in the modern Fallout games. Okay, interesting. It, especially in terms of story. And yeah, yeah, I've played through it multiple times. My sister's played through it multiple times oh, as well. Okay, I'll, I'll check that out afterwards, because I, I, I suspect I will finish The Outer Worlds. It's, a, it's interesting enough, and the setting is, is interesting enough. The gameplay is pretty good so far i think i only played a little bit of it because i wanted to try high on life first and i i tried to i tried to power through that and i got i just i don't know i I got tired of it so 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 much in terms of movies i watched a documentary called american gypsy which is about uh, a group a family of gypsies living in the american pacific northwest who suing the police for something that the police did and it's a lawsuit that took like over 30 years to resolve right and it's a story about that. I watched um, 
Uh, well, with a friend of mine, we did a jackass movie marathon. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, which is always fun uh, for what it is. And I also watched the Spanish, the Spanish movie called Time Crimes. Oh, um, have I watched that? I think it I've is, watched it. It is a, I want to say a Spanish indie film, came out around 2007, 2008, about a, a person who accidentally goes back in time and he has to ensure that his past self will re- repeat exactly the same process so that the events repeat, that he can like go back in time and then essentially kind of creates this causal time loop. Okay. Very good science fiction film. Very good film in general. Like it's and then of course, it's not that simple. That then of course he he runs into trouble. He does some stuff that he's not proud of, but he has to do them because otherwise the time will not repeat. Will not essentially close the loop, and there will be disastrous. So so that's why it's called time crimes. And you know people die. Let's just put it like that. As long as it isn't as confusing as Primer, it'll be okay. No 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 not at all. No it's it's much much more manageable than than primer okay sounds good it has this grainy look to it it's almost like it's shot in like 16 millimeter or something like that yeah uh so it has like a very like indie vibe to it and like it's it's a very small cast very well acted and and there's like one part where like the the character has to wear a bandage over his head and looks exactly like that uh, liam neeson movie uh dark man dark man yeah like he looks exactly like that he's like very evocative imagery of the film. It was a very great film. I'm surprised I hadn't heard of it before. Okay. And then in addition to that, I watched uh, the series Fleabag uh, on Amazon Prime uh, and I I did not like it that much. I thought it was I, I essentially the humor. I didn't think it was that funny. I don't know why the series is that well received. It didn't really appeal to me, but whatever. And I'm currently watching the show My Name is Earl. Is is that still going, or is it old? Oh, no, no. It, it, it was cancelled after four seasons. But I'd never seen it, and I heard very good things. It's often one of the first examples that I've seen people on the internet give about what's a show that was cancelled too early. And everybody yeah. says that My Name is Earl was cancelled too early. It should have continued. It has a small but very dedicated following. And I thought, you know, why not check it out? And so I checked it. It's about a guy who all of a sudden starts believing the concept of karma and he wants to right every wrong that he's done in his life. So every episode he he finds he has a list about the people that he's wronged. So every episode he finds a new person that he's wronged and he tries to to make it right basically. Okay. But anyway, so that is my uh, cultural consumption since last time we spoke and with that it is the end of our episode. So any closing thoughts, Jason? Yeah, if a sequel to Elite Battle Angel comes out, I'll watch it with interest and um I may continue with the manga just to see where it goes. Um, yeah, let me let me know because you know maybe I would. Ch- I, I, oh, I I oh I forgot to say it, but I'm also reading Nausicaa. I'm continuing to read Nausicaa slowly, but nevertheless, I I try to read a few pages every day. Yeah, how are you finding uh, it? I'm very good. I'm finding it very good so far. I sometimes have trouble telling what exactly like Miyazaki's drawing style. Sometimes I find it a little bit confusing. Like in certain panels, I have a hard time following what exactly is happening. But I've, I think I've gotten used to it, so I think it's gotten easier over time a little bit. So it's not like a lot of manga that I've read are very clear. Like maybe it ha- it's just a matter of like them being newer and technology has evolved, or it maybe has to do with drawing style. But that's that's what I've that's the only sort of like negative thing that I would say about about it is that sometimes I have a hard time telling what's going on in a in a certain panel. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, well, like. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts 
in the next episode because like um when it gets deep into sort of the technology of the previous um civilizations is really interesting i have gotten like a little bit towards into the backstory of that woman i forget her name um, um uh the princess from the tolmechian empire yeah i don't think in the movie they mentioned that she's actually the daughter of the emperor no, I don't think so either. Yeah, because I was surprised to find... I don't think you mentioned it either. Uh, no, it's, it's definitely mentioned in the manga. Yeah, it's in the manga. It's like you find out that she's... And her brothers are always kind of out to get her. But anyway, that's a, a completely different episode. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so that's it. So yeah, like you said, um, I'm looking forward to hearing what you think about uh, Alita if, if, you, if you do decide to, to continue reading it. And li- exactly like you said mixed feelings about the movie but if they do make a sequel i would probably watch it maybe not right away i wouldn't rush to the theater to watch it but i would watch it at some point yeah and um you know, hope uh listeners uh who like movie take the time or t- can take the time to watch it and uh, let us know what they think and uh just like to thank listeners for sticking with us and uh hope you enjoyed the episode and um thank you john for the conversation really interesting and uh, yeah, looking forward to the next episode. Absolutely. All right, so that brings us to the close of the episode on Alita Battle Angel, uh, directed by Robert Rodriguez, based on the Japanese manga of the same, well, of a similar name. Uh, next episode, it will, we will travel to South Korea and talk about the first movie of the series, uh, My Wife is a Gangster, although perhaps we will talk about the sequels, depending on how of an availability and how much time we have to watch all three of the movies. But until then, I, we hope you enjoyed our episode. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, please let us know at heroic-purgatory.com or on Twitter at heroicpurgatory, all in one word. Otherwise, we'll see you next time. Bye.